0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: The year was 1971. All in the Family premiered on CBS. In the NFL draft, Jim Plunkett from Stanford University was the first pick by the New England Patriots. Apollo 14, the third U.S. manned moon expedition, landed on the moon and Alan Shepard hit the first golf ball on the moon. The NASDAQ stock market index debuted. The 26th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution lowered the voting age to 18. And the federal debt was $408 billion. Uh, Old times. Oh, and one more thing. Dr. Phil Howard and a brave band of families started Valley Bible Church October 3rd of 1971. And uh, Phil, 45 years ago... If we start to get our age, it's hard to remember back 45 minutes, <laughs> let alone Yesterday 45 I years.
0: I was young. <laughs> Yesterday I was young.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the program, and uh, congratulations first on this, uh, this landmark anniversary of Valley Bible Church. I know that you have seen God do some very amazing things over the course of the last 45 years. So take us back for a moment, if you would. I understand that it all began with God essentially calling you back home. Tell us about that.
0: Uh, I was uh, going to a seminary in Fresno, California, uh, at the Biblical Seminary, a Mennonite Seminary connected to Pacific uh, University, and uh, I was doing homework on a Thursday night. I was uh, studying with a marvelous Greek uh, pro- professor, uh, D. Hebert, and that Thursday evening, uh, it's as though God, I just had like an epiphany there, and God burned two verses in my heart, Revelation 3, 8, Isaiah fifty four seventeen. No weapon would formed against me would prosper. And just uh, said, go back to where you grew up. I was headed for a church in the San Joaquin Valley. And just in that moment, uh, just changed the course of my life and direction. Told my wife, she cried because she didn't really want to come back. She was this other place had a parsonage, and she was expecting our second baby. And so the other offered no security. I, we knew nothing. I didn't know what I could rent, where I would live. I mean, there was, it was like Abraham and get out of Ur, but God didn't show him where. But I just knew, come back where I was, uh, had been a sinner, you know, as a kid and didn't know Christ. Go back and try to start a
1: church. You grew up in the Richmond area, and, of course, at that time, it's very different from what it is today. The so-called Iron Triangle there was really a focus of so much going on, of course, during World War II. There were the shipyards there, U.S. steel. That was really a hubbub of activity, really serving as a feeder for the construction of many of the Liberty ships that helped fight the war.
0: My, my folks, I was born uh, two blocks away from where they built those Liberty ships, uh, I was born there in '44. My mother was a rosy riveter. My dad was a construction worker. I mean, I grew up in government housing in the Iron Triangle. That's exactly where I grew up.
1: And coming home, when God led you to make that decision, as you point out, uh, you and Caroline were expecting your second baby. There was a tremendous sense of, "Gee, God, what next here?" I mean, you you literally began this church ministry in 1971 with just a handful of people. I think 19 or 20 people attended the first service, and here you are, 45 years later, with a church that has a radio outreach ministry. You have over 2,500 people attending church every week. Could could you ever imagine that God would do everything that He's done in the last 45 years?
0: No, no, not not at all. I, uh, You know, if someone were to ask me, what is your primary vision, I would call it survival. Uh, you know, if I could just survive uh, this assignment, I remember I told my dad uh, I was going to start this church, and he asked me, he said, well, you, you've got a two-year-old, you've got a baby on the way. You don't have a congregation, you don't have a job, uh, have you consulted the Ways and Means Committee? <laughs> and uh, I said, well, you, you told me you never heard of a preacher starving to death that knew how to pray. So I said, it's either going to go or I'm going to learn to sell insurance. I said, there's no need of representing a God that can't take care of a scrawny preacher. And he did the rest. Uh, it's so simple. Nothing really sophisticated about it. I know the big talk today is vision, mission. What's your vision? What's your mission? And I often tell people, you should ask Abraham that. You ought to ask Moses that. What was the game plan? What was the management by objective plan? The big thing was just try to keep up with God. Keep following God.
1: Well, do you think we sometimes overcomplicate things because we're trying to almost treat the church like a business, meaning that uh, businesses, of course, they want to have a two year, a three year, a five year plan. They want to talk about strategic growth and expansion, things of this sort. They come up with programs and operations to help accomplish all of that. And yet, I wonder in the simplicity of the gospel, I don't see anywhere in the New Testament where Jesus says, "Now, once your board has adopted the five-year plan, <laughs> here's yeah. what you should do." Instead, it simply says, "Go and make disciples." Have we lost some of the power of the gospel because we have tended to overcomplicate what is so simple?
0: Well, I I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I remember one time having an interview with Ron Ritchie when he was at PBC. Uh, and uh, I was asking him, uh, I was writing a doctor's thesis on church government and planning. And we went out, and I said, uh, Ron, what do you think the key to Peninsula Bible Church's growth? And give me the uh, formula. I went the formula. And he said, you know what? I've studied the book of Acts for years, and the only thing I can find out is show up in Holy Spirit and he said you can't beat those two but if you'll show up and if the Holy Spirit's in charge you'll be amazed at how plans will emerge ministries will grow and lives will be changed and sometimes we're really just doing no more than organizing the chairs on the Titanic you know if you don't have direction if you don't have God powering and overcoming all the obstacles of uh, We're just going through endless activity. But it's an old-fashioned dependence on God, the Spirit, and uh, it's not as much formula. I wish I knew more formula, but the one I have discovered the most is desperately depend on God, and he does the rest.
1: And, you know, that is, I think, uh, not only a good watchword for the birthing and nurturing of a congregation, of a church, but it's also pretty good advice for day-to-day Christian living, isn't it?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, walk in the Spirit. Uh, Dr. Walbert, I I had a friend that was with him in his last moments when he was dying, that president of Dallas for over 65 years, ready to go see his Savior. My friend leaned over him and Dr. Walbert, his last words was, George, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, his last words. And I'm going to tell you, Craig, uh, I'm more concerned about overcoming the flesh and sin than building a big church, because only Jesus can build the church. Uh, I'm, I'm just wanting him to help me overcome all these seductive voices and temptations of this world.
1: And, of course, at the core, as we speak about the application of this from a practical standpoint for our Christian faith, maybe the thing that has tended to to drive more people away from the church than to attract them in has been our tendency to want to either overcomplicate things or get ahead of God or to ask the question even, I think, in the flesh when it comes to the basics of salvation. Well, there's got to be more to it. It, it. it can't be as simple as just confessing with your heart, believing, and then accepting the work that Christ did on the cross. Clearly, there must be something here that you're not telling me when it comes to even the basis of salvation.
0: It is so true. I mean, for for God to say, I'm willing to give you heaven at the cost of my son, I mean, uh, no human being would ever invent such an offer. Uh, I'll give you my best. Uh, one commentators said, when we were at our worst, God did his best. And that's the cross in the middle of the carnage and chaos of a sinful world. Uh, it, it's all about that. It, we, I don't want to lose the message in the midst of the methods, the methods. Uh, Warren Wiersbe used to say, uh, methods are many principles are few methods, always change principles, never do. And, uh, We do not want to lose a message. Uh, We want to be contemporary, whatever that means, because in in about six months we'll be outdated. You know, the the pop charts will change more rapidly than we can change. But I think people, sometimes you'll hear people say, I lost my church. They don't sing what I used to sing. Sometimes they don't preach what I used to hear, and uh, how does the eternal have to be updated If you speak of things eternal, it's always relevant.
1: Our visit today with Dr. Phil Howard. Of course, he is the senior and founding pastor of Valley Bible Church located in Hercules. A brief timeout back to more of our conversation with Dr. Phil Howard as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to the program. A special visit today with a very dear friend, Dr. Phil Howard, Senior Pastor at Valley Bible Church of Hercules. Pastor, just before the break, we were talking about the simplicity of the gospel and the fact that mankind has, uh, down through the, the two millennia now since Christ's work on the cross, always seemed to want to improve upon things or complicate things or add to the message or somehow come up with some modern-day methodology or technology that's going to suddenly be the one thing that advances the message more significantly than any other. But at the end of the day, doesn't this really come back to the basics of man's fallen sin nature, the fact that we have offended a holy and righteous God, but that He so loved the world that while we were even in that sin condition, He sent His Son to die on our behalf to pay our price because God so desperately wants to have relationship with his creation, it, it, it seems to me that a message as powerful of that as that does not need embellishment. It doesn't need some sort of methodology behind it to, to spread or to catch attention.
0: It's, it's not the methodology, it is the uh, powerful work of the spirit of God, because this gospel, as you shared, the love of God and the death of Christ, it is the power of God that brings salvation, that the chains fall off. Uh, it is that uh, quickening ray that uh, made our chains fall off and we arose and we went to Christ and left the tombs of our sin. It, it is marvelous. It is wonderful. I I think we do not want to insult God as though he gave us a powerless gospel and a, uh, an anemic Christ. I looking at the book of revelation i was amazed at the picture of christ that no a pathetic christ is pictured in the last scenes of the bible there a powerful christ plenty capable of crushing the nations who oppose his right to reign he's a powerful christ and his god and sometimes we act like uh, things are so bad i used to have a pastor that would say to me well we have simply Come in our culture to where the bible 's culture started, Rome and Greece was as bad as it has become in our country, and sin has never uh, stopped the gospel it It is made for sin. you know where grace <laughs> meets sin, sin may be great, but grace is greater
1: yeah, the amazing thing about that observation, uh, Dr. Howard, is the fact that some people I think do get a sense of discouragement. They see what's going on, in particular in our nation today, morally, spiritually, culturally, politically. They get very frustrated. There's certainly a long laundry list of reasons why. And yet, I think we somehow fail to connect the dots, as you just did, that even at the worst of what's happening in our culture in America today, uh, it, it pales in comparison to what was unraveling in cultures like ancient Greece or ancient Rome, and in the midst of all of that horrible sin, the power of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ was able to penetrate through all of that, even as they tried to silence him by hanging him on a tree and threatening the disciples to not dare tell the story. And yet here we are more than 2,000 years later, and the story, the greatest story ever told, continues. Do we sometimes tend to sell God short?
0: Oh, absolutely. I, reading through the Gospels again, I, I was just reading uh, Matthew 17, and uh, the man bringing his boy to the, the disciples, please cast this demon out. And, uh, of course, they couldn't. And later they said, why couldn't we do it? He said, you didn't have enough faith. I cast him out, and he said, oh, ye of little faith. If you had just some faith. You can remove a mountain, and I think today uh, the giants are big. They're looming, and we can see ourselves as grasshoppers. And uh, it's easy in the midst of all this carnage. Uh, where is God? Where? Where are the promises? We're crying for revival. I don't know if that we're crying for it. We're desperate for it because it seems to be a season of uh, uh, the abounding of sin and. Would to God we're going to have another great awakening? Let it start on the West Coast. (laughs) But you know, a great awakening. I
1: I think about that, and, and I have to wonder, though. Down through history, the first great awakening, the second great awakening, in those cases of tremendous movements of the Spirit of God. Didn't it begin with God's people being obedient? And, and I ask that question because oftentimes, for example, we'll, we'll cite Second uh, uh, Chronicles 7.14. Uh, my people who are called by my name, so on and so forth. Everybody's familiar with that passage of Scripture. And we quote that, and we believe that that there somehow means that God is going to, to move. God is going to be one to initiate it all. And though, Isn't it interesting that he calls upon his church to be the ones to confess and repent and turn from our wicked ways? And so I life. have to wonder if as much as we who recognize what's happening in our nation today are waiting on God is the real issue the matter of God waiting on us
0: That's a that's a powerful analysis and I I just have to say you're absolutely right because the history of revival was always preceded by prayer uh, some desperate people fasting praying and uh, Sometimes you want to say, "You mean it's come to this <laughs> that we ought to be fasting and praying?" Uh, because I think sometimes we're looking for a better preacher, better sermons, better buildings, better music, better, better, and say, "What about a better you uh, that intercedes that actually cares, maybe even for your grandchildren, for your the next generation?" Sometimes I think we can act like I've got my ticket on the boat. I'm not worried about whether my neighbor gets one, mm. you know, and it's, it's easy. Uh, I, I gave a line recently, uh, love enough to care, care enough to share, you know, if we love enough to care and that's our struggle, let's don't be, let's don't be acclimated to the temperature. Uh, well. we need the heat of a burning heart and, uh, we're really preaching to ourselves right now. You and I, you and I'll have to meet to have a private prayer meeting.
1: That's right. (laughs) Well, you know, and it's interesting because I I, I think the observation is true that for some believers today, uh, their relationship with God is reduced down to, well, fire insurance. Uh, I am secure in my faith that I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and it stops there. And any notion of going deeper with God, developing a richer relationship with Him, seeing God not just as some powerful being out there in the Uh, ether that can barely be touched Uh, but instead seeing God as a personal, intimate, loving God who wants to walk in fellowship with us. I think for some believers, that's a bit intimidating, and for others, they, they don't really understand the fullness of His grace or the fact that God did not simply send His Son because He wanted to prevent mankind from going into an eternity without Him, but because He wanted to walk in fellowship with mankind, and the thing that was in the way was our sin and our sin nature.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think it's even uh, uh, hearing a lecture recently, a man talking about generational church, and was talking about their church had a uh, uh, traditional, more older service, was the first service, and uh, not, not booming in attendance. Second service was contemporary, busting the seams, and just doing great, and uh, The interesting thing about it is the first service generation were the ones who footed the bill for the whole church. The contemporary service was packed, but no one gave. Mm -hmm. And uh, you think of all these templates that we've invented for church, young, maybe contemporary music, whatever. What about giving? What about praying? What about sharing? Uh, instead of just being cool, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with being cool if you haven't given up the heat of the gospel, uh, just to be, I guess, the template. if we invent our Christianity, we can make it anything that seems popular. But we've got one template. We've got a New Testament of what New Testament Christianity looks like.
1: And at the end of the day, it's not about what we can develop and design. It's about what God already laid out from the beginning, uh, even before the heavens and earth were created. I mean, there in the beginning was God, was the Word. And so we have struggled, I think, sometimes to try and outdo God. And the reality is there's no such thing as Outdoing God. If you've just joined us, a visit today with Dr. Phil Howard, Senior Pastor at Valley Bible Church in Hercules. If you're new to the Bay Area, you'd like to check out Valley Bible Church, maybe even listen to Dr. Howard's preaching, his broadcast, Truth For Today, is heard weekday mornings at 5.30 a.m. right here on KFAX, and a special broadcast on Sundays at at 8:30 a.m. and you can get complete details on the web again at valleybible.org. A brief timeout back to more of our conversation right after this.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Welcome back to our visit. Dr. Phil Howard with us today, founding pastor of Valley Bible Church in Hercules. And uh, we were talking a bit about the power of the gospel uh, just before the break, Dr. Howard. And of course, beyond that reaching to the very essence of salvation and redemption, there's a lot of ways in which God demonstrates uh, His power in the lives of mankind. And I know certainly down over the course of the last 45 years, you must have innumerable examples of how God came through for the body there at Valley Bible. I, I'm reminded of the fact that you began with a, a small gathering, I think 19 or 20 people, um, meeting in um, in Pinole, and then from there eventually grew. But in between the years, you bounced around to a number of different facilities. Some were real nice. I understand some even had families of skunks living beneath the floor.
0: Absolutely. I'll say this. We didn't attract people because the ambiance was inviting. (laughs) You know, we'd have to spray the building before service so the skunks didn't dominate. You know, the sheep came in, but the skunks lived there. (laughs) And so um, we we did everything wrong, as it were. It was an old dance hall. I had 19 that first Sunday because I imported all my nieces, nephews. You know, anybody that was family, uh, we brought them in. Then we had nine guests. I always called them the Philistines. We didn't know them. And uh, from there, uh, just teaching the Bible, God brought a, a group of uh, young people from Peno Valley uh, that had either been saved uh, or were on the edge, kind of like uh, the Jesus movement, kind of the end of that era. And one thing, when we started, I had grown up with a lot of, uh, with a Christianity that was true Christianity, but a lot of emphasis on rules and uh, different lifestyle issues, dress, whatever. Uh, but when I started the church, uh, I started as a laboratory. Could the grace of God clean someone up without a bunch of rules? Uh If the grace of God can teach you how to live godly and righteously, uh, I came to that theology, but I needed a laboratory to see if it worked. And really, uh, Valley Bible uh, was that laboratory for me. I I, I could care less about numbers. Like I said, we just wanted to survive. And uh, to watch the gospel change one life after another, uh, to watch the church begin to explode in growth, by the first Easter, we were about 150, which was just fantastic. Knowing the Bay Area just to exist was a miracle. Having been here, I always grew up in small churches on the south side of Richmond, and uh, so just to see it take off and the word spreading, young people stepping up wanting to serve, it—I uh, had never been around anything quite like it. Uh, it was like a revival reformation, and God just guys started preaching, started planting churches. It just, you know, just kept going. And year after year, and from one bad location to another, uh, it, it just seemed like this is it. We can't go anymore. We were meeting in a dump. We we rented an old theater that had been used as a clubhouse for gang members uh, in the area. It was the only place we could get the uh, our landlord put us on the street. We thought we were buying the property and he decided not to sell it and, uh, says, I want you to move out. Well, at that time we were five to seven hundred people. It's kind of hard to relocate <laughs> five or seven hundred people over here. But one step after the other, I mean, plenty of oppositions, plenty of dark days, uh, plenty of days that, uh, uh, you're at the end of
1: your rope. Is that healthy, though? And I ask that question because so often I think as believers, and and there are some movements even within Christianity subsectors that wish to preach this sense that once you come on board with Jesus, everything is going to be just a bed of roses. Life will be just easy and breezy. But in fact, we're told we're going to be persecuted for his name's sake. We'll be despised as much as he was despised. And I have to wonder if during those dark days, those frustrating moments, the days when you're sitting here with this huge congregation and you've just received an eviction notice and you're saying, God, where are you? What's going on here? Aren't some of those the times when not only God demonstrates his love the most, but we grow the deepest in our faith with him?
0: You're absolutely right. Uh, God's thorns are, are as much a blessing as God's blessings, because God knows that He's always had people competing with him for the glory. He's either had spirit beings or he's had human beings wanting to eclipse his glory. Here Gideon goes out and has a great victory, and the only way he knows how to honor God is to erect a statue to himself. And uh, I was just sharing with a man how the church history is full of uh, things starting out with a man, Becoming a, a movement, winding up being a monument, and then becoming a museum, mm. uh, because we rob him of the glory. So, God keeps enough thorns, enough challenges to let us know: without me, you can't do it. You can't. Uh, and I think that's where some time today. I, I never grew up in the era of mega church. Never heard of them. Uh, only the maybe the Bible Belt, the South. Midwest, large uh, uh, Southern Baptist churches, some huge churches, but it seemed like as church history went along, the mega, the mega, unless it was big, God wasn't in it. And yet I think of the Lord Jesus. We couldn't call him to hold us a church conference today. He only got 120 through the upper room. So is that the best you can do after three years? Mm. Is that... Uh, They they had a saying, they called it the dust of the rabbis, that if you followed a rabbi closely, uh, and in those days, peripatetic rabbis walking around, uh, they would say, until the dust of the rabbi is on you, you haven't been discipled. And nobody would want to call Jesus in and say it's blessed to be poor. Nobody would want him and say it's blessed when you're mourning. No, he he would never hold your a, a conference on how to get big. He'd be talking to you how to be small in your own eyes. And how to
1: humble, yeah. How,
0: how to be humble. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't we book. I don't. He couldn't get booked for one of our uh, church growth conferences. He Jesus just doesn't know how to do it. You know, he doesn't know the methods. And yet, yet, I remember John MacArthur once was asked, "How did you build Grace Church to be so big?" He said. I found out earlier I wasn't the church builder. I was just there to obey. He's the builder. I'm just a member of his body.
1: You know, and he says, if you love me, feed my sheep. And that core principle, I think we would see a major change in the face of the church in America today if we focus less on trying to play the numbers game and more on simply just feeding the sheep and the sheep making disciples.
0: Well that's that's absolutely trying to get the the flock healthy. I do thank God uh I I think sometimes we can see the eye of the church through your eyes, let's say your giftedness. And just had a pastor talking to me, he said I know how to answer their Bible questions, I know how to give insight, but I don't know how to attract and a pastor five miles down the road is perhaps a gifted evangelist, and we look at some of these remarkably gifted evangelists throughout the country, and I don't begrudge their growth. Thank God for them. Thank God for them. Uh, but the majority of us have not been gifted in such a way. Uh, here, I've been here 45 years, and we would be the nursery department of some of the huge churches in the South. I mean, we're just... but. If Christ is doing the additions, if i got to answer, are you preaching his word? Uh, are you loving his people? And can I trust God for the results? Because in a pastoral ministry such as I've been in, you do a lot of sowing without seeing any fruit immediately.
1: Do, do pastors have to maybe then, in some respects, especially for those that labor, Dr. Howard, in a field like the San Francisco Bay Area, do some pastors have to cut themselves a little bit of slack? And I ask that question because there's so much... Emphasis on the numbers game. And I, I used to joke that, you know, if on a Sunday morning it's about who's the most successful at attracting the biggest congregation, then credit really needs to go to Al Davis because he gets, uh, you know, 25 or 35,000 to show up every Sunday there at yeah. the Oakland Coliseum. So I That's guess killer. we've annoyed him as being the most successful one. But in reality, is it really more focusing on the results, meaning preaching truth, speaking truth into the lives of the members of your congregation and the results being measured by how they change, how their relationship with God grows and develops. Is that is that the true yardstick we need to be looking at?
0: Well, I was saying pastoral ministry big time because it's a sowing ministry, equipping and I, I like the analogy. When did you finish uh teaching and shaping a life? And uh, You're a parent. Once you have children, you're having input and shaping them for all their life. But to shape a life, character, patterns of living, patterns of thinking, is no one sermon deal. Uh, If you just want to get them to walk down front or uh, make a public profession, uh, that's part of it. But who's going to raise the child? You know, having a baby hey, that's wonderful, getting that baby here. Uh Mama certainly goes through a lot to get that baby on board. The big issue is, who's going to take little baby and uh stay with them for 18 years and teach them how to survive in this world? And I think pastoring is raising children to grow in this world and to honor God the Father. And that's a long-haul project. That's why it's not an overnight thing.
1: Dr. Phil Howard with us today. A brief time out back with some closing comments as our conversation with Dr. Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church Hercules continues right after this.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Welcome back to the program. We continue our visit today with Dr. Phil Howard. He, of course, is the senior pastor and founder of Valley Bible Church in Hercules. By the way, they have a broadcast each Monday through Friday at 530 a.m. right here on KFAX. You want to check that out. Also tune in for their Sunday service at 830 a.m. right here on KFAX. And complete details available at valleybible.org. That's valleybible.org. We talked, Dr. Howard, about um, some of the inauspicious beginnings of Valley Bible Church and the, uh, the um, series of sort of odd, misfit buildings and facilities that you found yourselves in down through the years. Your current location on Willow Avenue in Hercules, that in and of itself was an absolute miracle of God, was it not?
0: It truly was. Uh, we kept looking for property because being a Bay Area boy— I knew property would escalate over time. So we started looking for property from the day I, I started. Had no money to buy anything, but I was eyeing property, looking at it. And we bought different properties, sold it at a profit, those kinds of things. But one day I had a uh, uh, a deacon in a local Baptist church call me and say, Hey, would you like our property? Uh, we are going to buy something nearby. and." Over the years, we've been having uh, uh, Easter offerings and things, and had accumulated the money to buy the present property. And so, you just got to know, because we went for 18 to 20 years without our own location, just in a rental, rental buildings. And so, uh, back in about 1990, uh, we moved into our first building on this campus, and then In 2001, we moved into the second building, and it's no small thing to uh, have six acres here in this area, you know. I wish it was 10 acres, 15 acres, but we're we're dancing that God gave us the six.
1: As you look back over the last 45 years, uh, and I know this is almost an unfair question, but in terms of some of the most incredible things you've seen God do, what are the top one or two that come to mind, Phil?
0: I think one of the uh, top things uh, that I love to tell about is uh, in those early days, uh, I had primarily young people, I'd say under the age of 24, maybe 23, a church full of young people, and I i had this great vision that uh, we're going to raise the goal of $100,000 for this year. To raise to buy property. And in those days, you know, being very creative, re erected the thermometer, put it up in the front of the church, and, <laughs> know you it know, well. a visual. Well, after you go 11 months and you can't even see anything painted out, and you're in the bottom of the bubble, and said, I thought it was supposed to go up, said, it is. But. We came after 11 months. We might have been at $5,000. So i was supposed to announce that Easter, you know, the grand total that came in. Well, it was a laugh. Everybody's laughing. Pastor got a little carried away. Big vision. A you know, little carried away,
1: Pastor. But Time was, to hide the thermometer.
0: <laughs> the Put thermometer it in a closet. <laughs> and and bury the guy who came up with it. You know. So it, it was... It was a laugh on me. Well, we came to that uh, uh, Easter service, and so everybody's waiting for the big announcement. And so I get up there and sheepishly said, well, you can see the thermometer hasn't quite reached the goal, we said. And I said, but I would like to say that uh, I, I would like today present an offering to the church in light of it, and uh, I presented a check for one hundred and eighty-five thousand dollars that uh, some young people had gone together and had given us, and so we almost reached two hundred thousand. Wow! And uh, young people, young people, uh, put the money together, and that's what they gave. And uh, then in those days, uh, we went and put it in a savings account at Bank of America, and because of Jimmy Carter, we were paid 17% a year on the money.
1: (laughs) Those were the days. (laughs) Those were the days,
0: and that's the money that we bought this property with. Wow. That was just a remarkable thing. And uh, then seeing all these young people get saved, i got to tell you this. I just saw the man this last week. We had a uh, young man. I was going to seminary in San Francisco. And one of the guys I was going to school with was going to a very conservative church, uh fairly strict. And he had met a guy, I guess, that he worked with, emaciated from drugs, uh, had been into, uh, like, voodooism, named a boy after a voodoo god, uh, had fathered a child out of wedlock, all of this. And he said, uh, Phil, uh, you know, I can't invite this guy to my church because I know— that he wouldn't be welcome. Uh, I wonder, uh, he said, I hear you guys take about anything. I said, well, you're right. Uh, we were kind of like Noah's Ark. Anything that can get on board, we took. And uh, I said, sure, bring him over. Bring him over. Love to have him. And when I met him, his eyes were so sunken. Uh, the drugs had done their work. Uh looked fairly... Uh, he looked like a guy living off the streets. He was he was in bad condition. Well, God saved him. God saved him. He initially started our tape ministry. And then he goes along, and he gets a burden for missions. And he comes to me one day. He said, Phil, uh, he didn't say, Phil. He would call me pastor in those days. He said, uh, I'd like to go to the mission field. Uh, is there any chance that you think I can get there? And I asked him, I said, Robert, I don't know of any missions agency that would want you. You haven't gone to Bible college. You've got this child out here. Uh, you've come out of a drug culture. You're this, you're that. What, what in the world could you do on the field? Why would you want to go, and what could you do? And he had just been reading the biography of J. Hudson Taylor mm. and other missionaries, and his reply was this. He said, Pastor, as I read the lives of these missionaries, they needed someone to carry water, and they needed someone to cut wood. I never thought I could be worthy enough to handle the Word of God, but could I wait on those who do? Wow! I tell you, I needed Kleenex. Mm-hmm. I, I said, Robert, with that spirit, you're going to go somewhere, and I'm telling you, he's in another church in our area, been a faithful deacon for now over 40 years, uh, raised a family, has been a servant, still goes to the mission field, goes to Africa, still pouring his life and trying to get Christ out, never became a full fledged missionary, but I'll tell you this he's still carrying water for the Lord Jesus.
1: We've spent a lot of time in our visit today, Dr. Howard, talking about the past, the great things that God has done over the last 45 years of the history of your ministry and that of Valley Bible. Looking ahead, where do you see God taking you and this congregation?
0: Well, I think it's a constant challenge to uh, be reaching the next generation. I was just asking some uh, pastors, I said, uh, give me a handle on the millennials. And their, their profound answer was, nobody's got them figured out. I said, thank you for the help. You know, I said, they couldn't give me any handles. That is the challenge. Can I think most of us churches, we can become an old folks home or a museum talking about what God did in the past. We need a fresh work of God uh, to reach these kids in front of us. They're under more pressure than ever. And so I hope that we will always have a pulpit that is burning to preach. Uh, There's three things they say to uh, us pastors of a church. They need at least two out of three things to be successful. They've got to be a communicator of the word. They've got to convince those people they care for them. And they need some kind of organizational ability. Well, my bent has always been to communicate and care And I've tried to hire uh, organizational men with strength and administration ability because I I crave to teach the Bible because I've never seen anybody change that it didn't come from that book being taught, hopefully in the power of the Spirit. And so the future is to keep doing what we've been doing and be willing to adapt Jesus said, you've got to be willing to be poured into new wineskins so that, I say this, our our packaging may have to look different, but you want the content of the gospel not to be diminished. So we've got to be willing to change, but know what not to change. And I say, keep the truth, keep the truth, keep Christ, keep the Word of God. But, hey, if we have to change the color of the building, We have to change some things that can change change. But and sometimes people get set in their ways, they won't change anything. And so I I think I want us to be willing to flex on everything that's flexible while clinging to the eternal.
1: Dr. Phil Howard, founding pastor at Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Sunday services are regularly at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. They're located at 1477 Willow Avenue in Hercules. Their radio broadcast, Truth for Today, can be heard weekday mornings at 5.30 a.m. with a special Sunday broadcast Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. Complete details on the church, its ministry, and location and directions simply go to valleybible.org. That's valleybible.org.
0: Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group. All rights reserved.